If we haven't met, my name is Josh, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and just really, really excited to see all your faces. I believe uh, God's got some good stuff for us uh, this morning, and I'd love to meet you if we have yet to meet. Uh, my, uh, I'll hang out in the back by the connections area there afterwards, and I know Pastor Ryan will as well, and we'd love to, to chat, get to know you a little bit. But where we're going to be this morning in our scriptures is in Luke chapter 14. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and get on over there. Luke chapter 14 will be in verse 7. Uh, If you need a Bible, uh, you can always type in Bible in your app store and it'll come up and you can download that. Uh, We'll have Bible up on the screen here for you as well in just a minute. And then we also have Bibles around the room and in the back. So if you don't have one at home, uh, we would really love for you to take one home. So just grab one of those Bibles. It's yours. It's free. Just take it home and uh, we'd love for you to to bring it home and, and, and break it in. So that's for you. But uh, if you haven't put it together, uh, this is Connection Group Week around here. And so we're uh, just launching this new season. Uh, my children, are, they're really pumped about Connection Groups. And uh, they've been asking, Dad, when, does, when do our groups start up again? He's, they're, they're just really, really excited about that. They love that we get to host a group in our home. And, uh, you know, in, in my neighborhood, our homes, our apartments, condos are really, they're quite on top of each other. And so in the spring, summer, fall, when the windows are open, it's real easy to be up in each other's business throughout the neighborhood, you know. And so uh, my neighbors to the, to the left of me, they have uh, these thick Irish accents. And it's, it's very common to hear hanging out at their house lots of Irish people. And uh, then uh, one more house down, there's a house that it's very common to have a bunch of teenagers because they have teens. And they're in the yard shooting basketball and being rowdy and doing things that they do. Uh, across the street, we have neighbors with a young baby. And so uh, it's common for them to have, you know, extended family over to hold the baby and to, you know, you know, just love that little, little one. Uh, behind our house, we have a family from Honduras, and so it's common just to have Spanish-speaking speak, people over and just hear Spanish kind of pouring out of the windows across the street and down a ways. We have a, a family that's got young preschoolers, and so it's very common to see SUVs roll out and then people coming out with little babies and toddlers going to, to play with the preschoolers down the way. Uh, but my house is a, is a little bit different. Weekly, my house gets to fill up with people with different accents from all over the world, uh, different skin colors. My house gets to fill up with families with lots of kids, uh, young professionals with no kids, old professionals, uh, people who are crawling out of shiny SUVs or people, people hopping off the bus just around the corner from my house. We are always having college students over and professors over and and doctors and lawyers and blue-collar people. It's very diverse. And and why is that? It's because of connection group. And why is that? It's because of the kingdom. I mean, no lie, it's it's so diverse in my house. I had uh, a neighbor recently say, Josh, I thought you were in the film industry. I said, what? I said, well, you had this one lady come over and she had all this like equipment, black equipment. And then behind her, we're all these different types of people. I don't know if she thought we had like this open casting call and had a bunch of freakish people coming over. But just what a beautiful picture, right, of the, of the church. Just this diversity uh, of people. The, the inclusivity of the church, the inclusivity of the, the kingdom, the, the grace, the, the open embrace of the, the kingdom of God. And in our last verse that we're going to look at today, or, or kind of towards the end, Jesus says this. I love this. and We'll get to it later. But he says, there is room. And so compel people to come in that my, my house may be filled. 
And I think that's kind of what we all want deep within us, is, is an open house, a family where we can be really known. You know what I mean? No pretense, but, but really known and cared for and loved, baggage, junk, past failures, still welcome, still love, and, and that's groups. And why is that? It's because that's, that's the kingdom. So last week we kind of introed this new kingdom series that we're calling Upside Down Kingdom within our larger series through the book uh, of Luke. And we're just studying this biblical concept of the, the kingdom of God. And we're doing it because Jesus seems to, at this point in the book of Luke, just pick up in frequency his, his, his addressing of the kingdom of God. And we learned that the kingdom of God, the kingdom, is what God really intended from the very beginning. That's his perfect rule and reign over all things and and mankind's submission to him, the perfect master, the perfect king. And and that rule and reign was, was fractured, right? But has been restored and is being restored through the work of Jesus on this earth. Uh, a leader in our network of churches, his name is Jeff Christofferson, says it this way. He says, the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when King Jesus gets his way. And so today we read that Jesus' way is a house full of diverse characters. A house full of unsuspecting characters. I mean, that's kind of upside down. We gather based on our language, based on our stage in life with children or, or with teenagers or our Irish descents. But Jesus says, I want people all over the spectrum gathering together. That's the kingdom. And it's upside down because it kind of causes you to turn your head like my neighbor. What, what am I looking at here? What is this all about? Let me explain. In, in today's scripture, we get a story about a dinner party in response to a comment after instruction about a dinner party, after teaching on how to act at a dinner party, all given at... A dinner party. It's, it's interesting. You with me? Three references to dinner parties or banquets or, or meals all shared at a dinner party. Because in the Bible, a feast or a banquet is a common illustration for the kingdom of God. And so would you think with me for a minute just about the significance of meals? Anybody here like to eat? Yeah, okay. I do too. Good. Um, sometimes when I come to church, I just think food food. There's something that just readies you to, to, to eat. And, and, and meals are designed for so much more than nourishing your body, just like sex is designed for so much more than reproduction, right? There, meals have deep and, and, and rich meaning. Meals are often a, an occasion for celebration, like a wedding reception. Meals are often an occasion for, for fellowship. You know that word fellowship has become such a Christian word. But in general, fellowship is when you gather together with other people with a common interest. And so we have people come here all the time for a one-year stint. They're doctors or professors and they're here as a fellow. They're, they're gathered together around this common interest. And, and the common interest that we have is this intrinsic value before God. And so we commune together. We enjoy each other's point of commonality. So meals are an occasion for uh, fellowship. Meals are also an, an occasion for getting to know somebody. Like when you invite people over to dinner so that you can get to know them and they can get to know you. Meals are an occasion to serve and to, to show hospitality. And the one who prepares the, the, the food and the table is saying to the guest, I welcome you. I, I care for you. I want to meet your needs. I'm interested in you. 
Meals are also an occasion to display unity. Like when my family, a handful of times, we get together after the end of my work day and, and we gather around the, the family dinner table. I love that time. We're unified, we're family, we catch up, we talk about our lives and what happened in that day. It's just a sweet time together. It displays our unity. Meals also are a time of enjoyment. Let's not forget that. We like food, right? We like food. And God has designed us to enjoy food and to enjoy drink and to allow all of that to well up into worship. And so God has designed shared meals as a very beautiful thing, rich with meaning. And so for us throughout the week, when we have meals or food at our connection groups or for our, our regular gathering as a family around the communion table, the Lord's Supper, or even today the food that we're going to throw on the grill for our college students or, or the hospitality that we as a church family are going to share throughout the week with our, our neighbors, those outside of the church, and even these meals that we talk about here in Luke 14, whenever we engage, partake in those meals, you need to be thinking about celebration, about fellowship, about knowing and and being known, about serving, about welcoming, about meeting needs, about displaying unity, about delight in the Lord who has given us food and drink that is good for, for, for pleasure. Now, here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus himself is at this dinner party. And and at the party, there are these religious type people, these Pharisees. And verse 1 says that, that they're watching Jesus very carefully. However, at the same time, he's watching them very carefully. And he notices something about their actions that serves for him as indicators that they do not get how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. And he discovers this at this shared meal with them, that their meal did not reflect kingdom living as meals are supposed to. Jesus looks around, he says, this is bogus. I mean, these are religious leaders. People are following them, trying to learn from them as to what it looks like to be a part of the, the kingdom of God. These are the ones who are so-called godly people, yet they are, are way off. And so he speaks up. And he speaks up first to the guests at the party, all these Pharisees. And then he speaks up second to the host. He addresses the guest, and then he addresses the host. And so if you're taking notes, guests and, and host. Have you ever been to a party gone bad? You've been to a party gone bad? Maybe you don't want to share that story, especially not in church. Uh, the cop showed up, or the, the turkey was burnt, or the host couple got in this big marital feud, or Aunt Sally had too much wine, and it got awkward. Or, or your kids knocked off the host's urn that had grandma's remains. And it was really, you know what I mean? Well, Jesus speaks up at this party. And it just gets awkward. And, and so awkward that as we continue to read the Bible, they get so infuriated, they just die, decide to, to kill him. So, so check it out. Check it out with me. Picking up where we left off last week. Luke 14, uh, beginning in verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, now he, Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you will come, will both come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin uh, with shame to take the lowest place. 
But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's stop there and we'll kind of break it down. We'll go a little bit at a time and and talk about it. So first, he addresses the, the guest. After he notices how all these guests are, are kind of fighting, maneuvering, working their way for the places of honor at the table. Now my kids at my home, I've been gone all day. They've been hanging out with mom throughout the day. And so when I come home, they, they, they kind of fight over who gets to sit by daddy. And I, I'm honestly secretly kind of honored by that. They're, you know, pulling hair and punching each other in the face. And I'm thinking, oh, that is so cute. They, they love me, right? Uh, the issue that Jesus is concerned with, however, is their self-interest, their, their disregard for everyone else at the party. He says, listen, when you're invited to a wedding reception, don't seat yourself at the place of honor. I mean, imagine showing up to a wedding and there's the, up front the table for the, the bride and groom and there's a few other tables up front and you just park yourself right beside them. And, and you make yourself comfortable and you take your coat and you put it around the back of the chair or ladies, your, your purse and put it around the back of the, the chair. You go get your hors d'oeuvres and you come back with your, your cheese and, and, and crackers and you sit down at the table with them. You notice that there's a little trinket that the bride and, and her mother have been working on while staring at Pinterest for the past five years. And, and you see that and you start to unravel it a little bit. And, and, and then though, the bride's mom comes up to you taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I'm sorry, but this was reserved for the groom's parents and, and grandparents. Can you, can you get up? In fact, over there on the other side of the tent, right in the back corner back there, there's a, there's a place just for you. Oh man, how embarrassing, right? I mean, this is, you, you've got to grab your coat or your, your purse you, you've got some champagne that you've already been sipping on prematurely before the, the toast. You've got your cheesecake with the grapes that are rolling onto the floor. You know what I'm talking about? And, and then you've got to kind of repackage that little Pinterest idea because you had this prideful assumption that you belonged right here. And that Jesus says you've got to do the walk of shame carrying all this awkward stuff to the back corner of the tent. It just backfired. It's, it's total humiliation. Jesus says, how about this? How about next time when, when you gather like this, seat yourself in the, the back corner, in the, the lowest place in the room. I mean, you never know. For, for those people, maybe the host will come up to you and say, oh, no, you know, friend, come on up front. And then you're, you're, you're honored. At our wedding, we had, this, we had this woman that I honestly barely knew who uh, decided that she would come to our wedding. And uh, she was coming all the way from Atlanta, my, my parents' church, and, and, and she did not even receive an invitation to the wedding, and, and she decides, you know, I've always wanted to see beautiful New England, so I'm going to take a nice scenic train ride from Atlanta all the way up to the wedding, and uh, she books the train, shows up, she crashes our wedding, and uh, during the middle of our reception up in Northampton, Massachusetts, she grabs my dad and says, my uh, train to go home is... In, in just a, a few minutes here. Do you mind if you take me to the, the train station? And uh, can you believe that? A thousand mile journey. And she enjoys herself, grabs a quick dinner, and she's ready to jump back on the train before we even cut the cake. Well, 
this nice guy that was near my dad overheard it. His name was Mr. Shaughnessy. And, and Mr. Shaughnessy was uh, best friends with my father-in-law. And I barely, I, I met the guy maybe once, maybe twice. High-ranking military uh, official. And uh, he says to the, the, the woman and to my dad, he says, I'll take care of it. Let, come, you come with me. I'll bring you to the train station. I knew my dad probably should, should probably hang around his son's wedding. And so uh, this man humbled himself. He wasn't concerned about his place at the party. He wasn't concerned about coming back and his food being cold or, or missing out on the dancing with his wife that he was probably looking forward to. And so he, he drops her off. He comes back and, and just was concerned about other people and not himself. I didn't really know him all that well and he didn't know me or my dad very well. But he came to the party humbled. He came to the party prepared to serve. Mr. Shaughnessy has now since passed and gone to be with Jesus. But I, I tell you, I will never forget that night and that man's actions. I'll never forget it. When I think about who stood out the most, other than the girl in the white dress, that man stood out the most to me on my wedding night. Jesus says, you come to the party, but you come not looking for your own interests. You come looking for the interests of others. In fact, Christians, that's a quote from Philippians chapter 2, which says, at the party, you look out for the interests of others, not yourself, because, Philippians 2, Jesus humbled himself. He was looking out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others, and he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even the most brutal death, even death on a cross. And so here in Luke 14, Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself, tries to make himself numero uno, he will be humbled, but he who humbles himself, he will be exalted. Let me ask you, is this the approach that you're taking to life? Because this is kingdom living. We're constantly looking out for number one, aren't we? You think about it. You just think through your day to day, you are constantly looking out for number one. I'm constantly looking out for number one. Whether it's the parking space or where I'm going to sit when I go into the, the classroom. When I wake up, when I lie down, I'm constantly looking out for, for number one. Imagine, however, if we all approached life the way Jesus is calling us to approach life. We're enjoying this here this morning because 30 plus people, I count it, 30 plus people came together early, early this morning to get this place ready for you. And they're probably sitting here with grease on their pants or back there with child spit up on their, their blouse or sweat running down their forehead. Let me assure you, though no one else may notice, the groom notices and his name is Jesus and we the church are his bride. And he says here, he will repay you at the resurrection of the just. That means the day that we are resurrected to new eternal life. That is in eternity. Imagine if we all did this. If we all lived this way in our lives, looking out for the interest of others. We all humbled ourselves, seeking no immediate payday, just trusting that he's in control and he'll, he'll reward in this perfect timing. He'll exalt the humble, some on this side of eternity, some not on this side of eternity, maybe on the other. So he talks to the guests, and then he moves on, he talks to the host, the host. Now check this out. Look at verses uh, 12 through 14. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. 
But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus says, the host of the party has really the same issue as the guest, and that is self-interest and disregard for other people. He says, listen, when you look to throw a party, don't look to invite your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Why? Is it wrong to invite family to a party? He says, don't look to invite people based on what they can give back to you, what they can do for you. I've always wanted to go over to that massive house over there. Maybe if I invite them to my house first, then they'll let me go inside and snoop around, and maybe they'll let my kids swim in their pool. That would be pretty, pretty cool. No, 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 no. You ever said to someone, thank you for having me over. I'm going to have you over really soon as well. Or, or somebody picks up your, your tab and you say, thanks, next one's on me. Jesus says, whoa, whoa. What if your guest list included people who could never repay you? What if the people that you're seeking to love and to serve and to bring into the kingdom of God are people who could never repay you? That's how we should live. That's how we should scour the people that we're seeking to interact with, even here today. Be looking to bring those kinds of people into the kingdom party. Is that where your eyes go? Very convicting to me too. Is that where my eyes go? Are you constantly looking to serve people, even the ones who cannot contribute in some maybe obvious ways? In building this new church, we're we're not hunting down the person from Chestnut Hill who has money and can contribute and help this church get off the ground. No, God says, I will supply all your needs. You go to where... I told you to go. You serve broke as a joke college students. You serve unemployed, underemployed. You serve the single mother who drops just maybe some change in the basket, kind of like the widow who dropped the widow's might in, in Luke chapter 22. God says, I will supply all your needs. So you just serve those people who need it, not those people who can pay it forward or even back to you. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. You can never repay Jesus. Have you ever really thought about that? You could never repay Jesus. He died for you. He lived even before that the perfect life that you could never live. And then he died in your place taking your punishment for your sin. We call that the substitutionary atonement. It's this big theological word that means Jesus atoned for your sin. He paid the price for your sin. You could never pay the price apart from all eternity separated from him because he is infinitely holy. And the price is eternal separation. He says, no, I'm going to take care of that. You could never, never, never repay him. Let that stir you to serve people who could never repay you. In fact, if you look at the updated guest list, the ones Jesus suggests that, that, that couldn't uh, even, you know, they, they couldn't repay you, they're, they're people that they really, if you look at it, they couldn't even get themselves to the party. You thought about that? Look at the list. The poor. Well, I got nothing to wear. No problem. No problem. The crippled, the lame, they physically could not get to the party without any help. The, the blind, they needed someone to guide them. Listen, you cannot come to Jesus on your own. Jesus comes to you. 
He meets you right where you're at. Some of you need to know that today, that Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at. You don't have to clean yourself up for God. He takes you just as you are. He says everything's taken care of. And so Jesus has just called out everyone at the party. Isn't it pretty interesting? He goes to this party and instead of saying, wow, this is great, thank you. He says, let me just call you all out. Guest, man, bogus. Host, bogus. And so what happens, do you imagine, after he does, he just calls them all out. Probably some crickets. Probably kind of awkward. Look at verse 15. After all this happens, Jesus calls them out. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Okay, this is funny. Let me, let me just help you see. Uh, for those people who say Jesus has no sense of humor, this is funny. He's called everyone out. You imagine everybody's just boiling. These are self-righteous, arrogant Pharisees. It's awkward. And then that guy says, how about them Red Sox, right? Just, he just speaks up, right? Seriously, theologians are baffled by this, this comment here. They, they say it's just so out of place that, that, that some think when he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, it must have just been some common statement that the people would make in, in, in feast and, and, and it was just awkward and uncomfortable. So he just goes, blessed is everyone, right? He has no idea what to say. How about them pats? The other option is he just flat out missed the point. He's completely clueless. Jesus calls him out and he goes, Cheers to us. <laughs> Everybody raise your glass. Here, here. We're awesome. Just, just mistaken. To which Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Check out the story that Jesus says. 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everyone is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out to see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in all the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highway and the hedges and compel people to come in that my my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's think through this story a little bit. Story about a great banquet. The kingdom. Man throws this huge party, Jesus says. He invites tons and tons and tons of people. And then everything's ready to go. So he sends out his servant to go gather the people. And as the servant goes out to gather the people, people start to make all these excuses, don't they? You ever been to a party or invited to a party that you really didn't want to go to? An event that you really didn't want to be a part of? You ever said some kind of stupid thing to, 
to kind of get out of going and it just kind of backfires in your face? You've been, you've been caught? Sorry, man, I can't, I can't make it tonight. Oh, yeah, what's up? Uh, I don't have a babysitter. Don't worry about it. Everybody's bringing their kids. Yeah, my, my kids got homework. It's Friday night and it's a long weekend. They're off for Columbus Day on Monday. You just kind of, you lose all your excuses, right? You're busted. These guys are just completely busted. Listen to their excuses. The, the servant goes to guy number one. Hey, man, it's party time. What's his response? I bought a field. I must go see it. Question for you. Who in their right mind buys some property and then goes to check out the property, right? Before you buy it. No, that's not how it works, right? Guy number two. Servant goes to him. Hey, man, party time. Come on. And his response is, I bought some oxen. I must go and examine them. It's the exact same excuse. We don't do oxen around here, I don't think, right? We don't, we don't really do that around here. So let's say you bought a used car. Who buys the used car and then goes to examine the used car? No one, right? Bogus example. Jesus saying this, this, this excuse is ridiculous. So guy number three, servant goes to him. Hey man, it's party time. And what's his response? I married a woman. <laughs> Classic, right? Blame it on your wife. Anybody ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. Don't do that. Jesus just made this thing up. I mean, this is good. Jesus, I'm telling you, Jesus is, is funny. When I was a newlywed, we were broke as a joke. And so if somebody invited us to a wedding, you better bet we're going to be there. It's a free date night, right? We're going out. These people are saying, listen, your party, it's not a big deal to me. I've got better things to do. So let me ask you, because I think this is what Jesus is asking us. Is this reflective of how you view the kingdom of God? Christians, it's a problem when the kingdom of God is no longer a big deal to us. It's a really big problem. We'll keep coming back to Matthew chapter 6, 33 in this, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Do you seek first the kingdom of God? Jesus is clearly speaking to the, the Pharisees here. Remember, this is an all-Pharisee party in Jesus. And that oddball stands up and goes, cheers to us being in the, the kingdom and the eternal party. And Jesus says to them, essentially with this parable, he says, don't be so sure that you're in the party. Because if you don't understand how huge of a privilege it is to be a part of the kingdom, it's probably because you have not personally experienced my grace. And so though you may look very godly on the outside, Pharisees, based on your behavior, there's no God on the inside. You are not my friend. So, all these lame excuses, the servant goes back to his master. And he says, Master, it looks like your servants, or, or, or these people that have been invited, they're, they're not coming. The master is obviously angered at their self-righteousness and their lack of understanding as to how beautiful this opportunity is. And so the master tells the servant, he says, I want you to go out to the streets. And I want you to go out into the lanes of the city and bring in, there it is again, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. 
I want you to go and I want you to bring in those people who are outcasted. Street people. People hanging out in the alleys, hanging out in the gutters, the poor, crippled, blind, blind and, and, and lame. And I wonder if anybody in here, even this morning, kind of feels lame. You feel lame in, in some way. Maybe physical ailments, some kind of struggle that you keep, or spiritually you just feel completely lame. And here's where we start to unlock just, I think, the most beautiful angle of this party. Is that Jesus, the, the master, he set all of this thing up, this, this whole thing, he set it all up. The whole time knowing that the religious elite weren't going to come to the, the party because they were too consumed with, with self. They were too self-righteous when he calls us to be not self-righteous, he calls us to be Jesus-righteous. In fact, Luke chapter 5.32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, quote, righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. It's been about the sinners. It's been about the spiritually lame. It's been about those people who are humble enough to recognize their need for Jesus from the very beginning. The whole thing has always been about grace. Even the Bible, the whole thing has always been about grace. From day one, it's been about grace. The whole Old Testament is not about you earning God's favor and and adhering to all these rules. It's all these rules so that you could see, wow, I can't do it, but Jesus does it for me. I'm going to trust in him, not in my performance, because if you break one, you break the whole law. It's about grace all along. So what do you bring to the table at the party? Nothing. (laughs) Don't let that bum you out. Let that excite you. Let that free you. There's no pressure of bringing anything to the table. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. He has done it for you. You cannot do it yourself. That's the gospel. The gospel. The good news. And I love verse 17. If you look back at verse 17, Jesus says, everything is now ready. What does everything mean? Everything. Street people, you got nothing to wear? It's all covered. The Bible says that Jesus clothes us in his righteousness. You don't have to be clean to come to Jesus. No, Jesus comes to you, brings you into the party, and eventually he cleans you up. You struggle with lying? He wants you. You struggle with some kind of sexual sin? He wants you. You've busted up your marriage or some relationship? He wants you. You've hurt a lot of people? He wants you. You're incredibly prideful and you know it? He wants you. Name the sin, no matter how big it is. He wants you at his party. He says, come on out. And I absolutely love the, the next verse, uh, verse 22. He says, the, the servant invited all the street people and he comes back and he says, Master, I've done exactly what you told me to do. And catch this, and still there is room. There, there's still room for me? Yes, there, there's room for you. I mean, that's amazing. You cannot be too far gone. If you think you've blown it too many times, still there is room. 
I'm praying that those words will just resonate in your heart and in your mind. Still room. There's, there's still room. And he tells the servant, verse 23, check it out. The master said to a servant, go out to the highways. So he first said, go to the streets and the alleys. Now go out to the highways and the hedges and, and compel people to come in. That my house may be filled. Other translations say, I want my house to be full. Go past the streets and the alleys. Go all the way out to the highways. What he's saying in that context is, hey, Pharisees, it's going to go beyond the Jewish people. This whole thing has not been about you. You are a nation, a kingdom who are supposed to display to the whole world the message of Jesus. It's going to go well beyond you. And he's saying to us today, even if you think you're too far gone, beyond that, you're welcome to the party. Why? Because my desire is that my house may be filled. He wants his house to be filled. He wants the party to be banging with people like you. Not me. Yes, you. There's some of you in here today, you need to receive Jesus' invitation to the party. Some of you today, you need to hear, still there is room. Some of you today, you need to hear, you can't clean up for the party. You can't earn your way to the party. All the people who thought they earned their way, he says, out of here. It's been about grace the whole time. And some of you today, I would invite you right now to give your life to Jesus in the best way that you know how. Call out to him. The Bible says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you're turning from your sin. You're turning to him. You're trusting in his righteousness, not not in your righteousness and how you've clothed yourself. No, it's how he's clothed, clothed you with righteousness. It's what he's done for you. Some of you today need to turn to Jesus and give your life to Jesus. And as we respond and as we sing, I invite you to that. There are others of us in here. You're professing Christian. You've got the invitation. You're on the guest list. But if you were to honestly assess yourself, there is no evidence in your life that you are seeking first the the kingdom of God. Let me close with a story. I'll never forget my first few times going to Fenway Park. You, you remember this for yourself? You go up to Yaki Way and the, they got the banners and it smells like sausage and everybody's just loud and it's exciting. It's just an awesome experience to go to Yaki Way for the very first time. And then you enter into the, the stadium and you can walk around the stadium. It's super congested, but the energy is just awesome. And then that point comes, where you, the best point in the whole experience, where you walk up the stairs for the first time and you see the field as you come to the top of the stairs and the lights, and it's amazing. I think it was either my second or my, my third time going to Fenway was Johnny Damon's first game as a Yankee, right? And we were sitting right beside him, I think it was right field, and people were just freaking out on the guy, screaming at him, just obscenities, and it was awesome. I know a pastor shouldn't say that. It was just the energy was amazing, right? I mean, the world revolves around Fenway. At least that's how we see it here in Boston. Then time goes on, and I, I got lots of free tickets for various reasons to, to the game. People said, oh, you know, I'm a businessman. I got these extra tickets for my company, but Nobody's going, you want to go? Oh, yeah. And I I think I got 10 plus free tickets to Fenway. 
And then beyond that, I started to take all these visitor friends of mine that were coming to Boston to hang out. The $18 Fenway tour where you get to kind of go through Fenway. I'm telling you, I love Fenway, but honestly, it starts to kind of lose its, its original luster. It stops to be so exciting anymore. You know, oh, I get to go to Fenway. This is an amazing privilege. Just kind of, I'm going to Fenway. But something changed for me. Nine years ago, I become a dad. A few years after that, I get to bring my boys for the very first time to Fenway Park. Remember, I brought my son Luca on a Saturday night, and I brought my son Isaiah on a Sunday afternoon, and I bring these guys into Fenway Park, and they have the whole experience all over again. And they go to Yaki Way, and they smell it, and we get popcorn and sausage, and they get juice all over their face. We go into the stadium and we're congested. They're holding tightly to my hand, but they're just wide-eyed. And then we go up the stairs and the lights and boom, and it's just amazing. Big Poppy hits a home run and it was just incredible. But it wasn't just incredible for them anymore. It's now incredible for me again. Why? Because I got to live it out through them. I get to experience it again through them. You want to know how to get that wow factor again with being invited to the party, to the kingdom of God? Become the servant. I think he's the most overlooked person in this parable as I've listened to countless sermons on this this text here. You want to have fresh eyes for the kingdom? Be the servant. Be the one who goes and gets people and brings them back to the party. Be the one who goes and gets people who otherwise would never imagine they get to do this and they come and they see it and they experience it and they're in the presence of Jesus. It's incredible for them. Then it becomes incredible for you again. Christians, you have to be a bringer. You have to be a servant. You have to be about the business of bringing, of helping usher people into the kingdom of God as you cooperate with God, the Holy Spirit. He's given people to you. If maybe it's kind of lost its luster a little bit, the way to re-experience and relive it over and over and over and over again is to bring it to people who need to experience the grace of God. It changes everything. Let me pray for us. God, I commit my Christian friends in this room to you. Lord, I just pray that we would all be servants. We would be the least of these. We would be the Mr. Shaughnessy's when we realize that this whole party is not about me. It's centered on you. And I want to see other people experience the joy of this party. And so I'll make myself last and I'll bring people to where they need to go. I'll take care of the things that need to be taken care of so that more and more and more people can experience this feast. God, change our hearts. Help us to seek first the kingdom in this way, that we would be servants. And God, I pray for anybody in here today who has never been a part of this party. 
Lord, thank you that they're here. Thank you that the invitation is for them right now that you're saying it was for you all along, my friend. Come on up. You're humble. You realize your mistakes. You realize your sin. You come sit up here at the high place. I love you. I care for you. I've got a plan for you. I want you to follow me all the days of your life. And so God, I pray that you would stir hearts, you would awaken hearts right now. That people would call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And I pray that you would do your work that only you can do. Thank you that you tell us to compel people to come. May we be compellers. May we be servants. May we be bringers. And may we receive this invitation. We pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.